bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Hello and welcome. As you can see, the weather is starting to turn. The sun is out more. The temperatures are getting higher. And that can only mean one of two things. We're either getting ready for baseball season or softball season. And today I'll be talking with one player who was the best who ever did it at her position. And you'll find out who she is next here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant, and I'm driving my car safely and legally communicating on my phone. Minnesota law allows a driver to use their cell phone to make calls, text, listen to music or podcasts, and get directions by voice command or single-touch activation without holding your phone. Violations are very expensive. The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes per year and nearly 400,000 injuries are caused by texting and driving. Not surprising, since four seconds with your eyes off the road is like driving the length of a football field blindfolded. And research shows that just two seconds increases the risk of an accident up to 24 times. Texting may only take a second, but it can end your life or ruin it forever. Please. Drive safely and stay alive. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Yeah! Everybody in the club right now. What's up? If you standing around, what? You need to get the fuck up out of here. Get out. Because when we come in the club, what's up? We like to get fucking crazy. Crazy! You know what? Let's freaking lose it. Get out of your mind! 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 I'm a semi truck, no brakes. I control like a bull out the gate. Get drunk, I get the out of the way. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated earlier in my opening statements, it, it, the weather's getting better, and our minds turn to outdoors, and especially for some people, baseball and softball. And I said I'd be talking with one of the best to ever do it. She was an all-Big Ten performer. She was an all-American now she's, and she also played in the pros, and now she is a business owner, and we'll cover all of that. And I'd like to welcome to today's podcast, Sarah Moulton. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. We've been working on this for a couple of weeks because I wanted to get it about this time of year, so here we are. So as I... um start this interview off, the question I guess I'll ask is, why the game of softball? 
Sure. Yeah. So I tried out like every sport growing up except for hockey, which was interesting because I live in the state of hockey in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Um, But softball was just the sport that I was most drawn to. And I don't know if it was just the outdoor atmosphere or just the way, you know, the crowds came together at tournaments for Saturdays and Sundays, but I just couldn't get enough of softball. And then when my dad finally let me start pitching, I fell in love with the sport all over again. So softball was a huge part of my life. I pitched for 17 years and I played for about 20 years and it's still a huge part of my life now, um, now that I get to be a pitching instructor and teach it full time. Right. Uh, so as you're growing up and you're kind of, did you do the traveling tournament circuit? Yep. I started an in-house where it was like coaches pitch. Um, and then I graduated from that and did 10U fast pitch and then did the club ball at 14U and then played through high school and then went on and played in college. And like you said, in the pros as well. Uh, as you as you're playing in those youth tournaments and traveling around and your parents are taking you from here and there, uh, were you having any thoughts about playing in high school and playing in college or you were just worried about your next game? Yeah. So back then, honestly, it was probably about the next game or I know at the younger levels, all we really cared about was who was bringing the snacks and like what the juice boxes were going to be, you know, after the game when we had our huddles. Um, Those were the fun years for sure. But um, I started to get more serious about it when I hit middle school. Um, And that's when, you know, I started the club circuit. And then I was always thinking about the next step, which was high school ball. And then obviously it was college after that. With the explosion of softball, and that was another reason why I wanted to have you on, because the game has really exploded around the country. Uh, do you think the youth level has gotten too intense? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it has, and maybe it hasn't. I think it just depends on who you ask and where you ask it. Um, we really try to you know, encourage our athletes that come to Strike Zone Sports that we work with to make sure like you're enjoying other things, whether you're involved in other sports or activities, hanging out with different friend groups. Um, We don't want them just to be so like in softball at those younger age levels. Um, We really promote like multi-sport athletes, like I said, um, because you will get a long career in this sport um, and you don't want to get burnt out too early. And that's sometimes what we see for kids that, you know, specialize in it just a little too early or parents just push them just a little too hard in it. Um, I have a friend of mine that I played baseball with for years and uh, his daughter loves the game of softball, but I can't, you know, I jokingly call her my niece, but I can't get her and he can't get her to play a different sport. What other sport did you sports did you play growing up? Yeah. So when I was younger, like in elementary school, I did um, soccer, softball, basketball. I tried volleyball. Um, I did track. I ran cross country. Um, and then once I got into high school, I just stuck with softball and basketball. And then I did run cross country my senior year. But, you know, at the younger ages, like it was fun to, you know, you'd take your team photos and then you'd get the magnets. Um, mm-hmm. We had competitions with our friends who had the most magnets for sports um, on the refrigerators when we were younger. So, we all wanted to try all these different sports, but there's so many benefits to doing that. Um, but I know it's so different now with softball wasn't offered year round right. um, like it is now. So we really transitioned like 
basketball was a winter sport. Then we went into track in the spring and then softball shortly after that took up our whole summer. Soccer was the fall sport. So we didn't have those like overlaps that we're seeing now with all these sports offering clubs in like a year round um, setting. So I don't know how we did it. I asked my parents that all the time. I'm like, how did we manage all this stuff? Because we had a lot of magnets on our fridge, but, you know, just very organized and planned everything out. And I don't think we were home many nights during the week. So you see that a lot now with these families, they're constantly like moving and trying to get their kids to and from everything and heads are on swivels for sure. What are the benefits of being a multi-sport athlete? Yeah, great question. Um, Obviously, like first and foremost, you're developing different, you know, athletic movements and mobility and strength. um, But you're also, you know, learning from different people. You're learning from different coaches. Um, You're not just, you know, hanging around the same group of teammates. Um, So I always had my basketball friends and then I had my soccer friends and my softball friends. Um, It gets you around different people because if you spend all of your time around the same people, you know, you kind of, you, you don't grow as much as, you know, you could. I always say like little kids, their their minds are like sponges. They're going to absorb so much information. And the more people you can get around and different coaches and philosophies, you're going to learn a lot of life lessons um, that way too. So there's a, a ton of benefits from it. I'd say the biggest one is just developing that athletic ability. Um, I didn't have very many injuries growing up. And I don't know if it's just because I learned so many different motor skills from all the sports that I played um, I'm sure some people could argue like you have a bigger chance of getting injured if you're doing that many sports, but there's just, there's a bunch of studies done on it, but I, mm-hmm. I really, I think I was the athlete that I was because I did a bunch of sports growing up and I learned from a bunch of different people. Well, you know, as an equipment person, I worked closely with the athletic medicine people at the U when I was there and their biggest worry was, you know, overuse burnout. And when you're playing one sport, that is a um, huge issue that happens that because you're using the same muscle groups over and over and over again, that uh, those joints, ligaments, muscles, tendons may, you know, break, break, break down, tear, whatever from overuse. So, They've always stressed to me as a parent to make sure my son was, you know, doing different sports just to give a one sport uh, group of muscles and body parts a rest to do something different. And also, as you spoke about earlier, the social aspect of a different, whole, totally different group of friends and and a whole, to- you know, a different coach to listen to because you can get burnt out listening to the same coach and all those things. Totally. So you you were uh, playing the travel circuit, and you were probably catching the eye of because um, you probably knew where you were going to for high school, but now you're starting to uh, and which is something. This my next statement is something I really struggled with. Uh, you're also catching an eye of college coaches, and you're you're only 12, 13, 14 years old, and you have college recruiters trying to get you to um, make a decision on where you're going to college before you've seen your high school locker, which is the part that always baffled me. Um, how did that process go for you? Yeah, and it's it's a very different process now than what I went through you know, back then. So my dad started taking me to go for sporting events when I was in middle school. Um, 
we went to go for basketball games. I remember a few that we went to and I just always loved the atmosphere mm-hmm. and just being on that campus. Like it just felt so different. So I think when I started getting into seventh grade, I, I begged him to sign me up for like a go for a softball camp. Cause you know, softball was, you know, the sport that I was starting to lean towards. Um, and I just, I wanted to go back to that campus and I wanted to see what it was like. Um, I think I started telling people like I wanted to be a gopher at that young age. Um, but obviously, you know, my parents were like, sure, whatever, like we'll sign you up, but you know, only 22 people get to be on that team in the whole country, which, you know, when you really think about that, it's like, holy smokes, like what are the chances? Um, so I started going to the, the camps. I got to know the coaches that way and then started to get to know the players and the culture. And I fell in love even more with Maroon and gold after that. Um, so getting into high school, you know, my parents were like, yeah, you're, you're just so tunnel vision on Minnesota, but like, let's just explore some other options. So I remember writing some handwritten letters um, to some other Big Ten coaches. But, you know, my heart was always with Minnesota and I just continued to go to their summer camps and I continued to go to their winter camps. Um, and then my sophomore year, we I played on a, a sing team, which was our club back then, and we went really far in the national tournament. We got second place. Um, and I remember that was the first time I think I saw Piper, like our coach Ritter, um, excuse me, <laughs> come to our games for the first time. Um, and she was sitting behind home plate and just watching me pitch. And I just remember being so nervous because I had met her at all the, the, the camps and the clinics that I attended for them. But it's different when they're there watching you play. Um, cause then it got like really real. I was like, wow, she took her time. Like she's here to watch me. Like I better do good. You know, you start putting like added pressure on yourself, but, um, she must've liked what she saw because shortly after that, they, they offered me and I verbally committed. And back then I, it was right after, you know, the summer of my sophomore year going into junior year, which was a little early to commit back then. But I, I knew from a young age, like that was where I was going to go and I was going to do anything I could to get there. So we're going to, and I know this is going to sound out of place to the listeners, but this is actually how things go. Now I'm going to take you back to her high school years. Like I said, she's already forming thoughts about where she's going to college before she's hit high school. But that has actually changed now. They've changed the rule of when they can actually be uh, recruited and brought on campus and all these things, which make more sense to. It's now the horse is in front of the cart, whereas back when she served recruited, the cart was in front of the horse, and it drove me insane to, for me to be talking to and showing uniforms and workout uh, apparel to somebody who's only 12 or 13 and had like you know their whole sky uh, high school t- uh, terms to go through before they before they stepped on a college um, campus. So where did you go to uh, high school? I went to Egan High School in Minnesota. And uh, who was your high school coach? My high school coach was Courtney Dooley, and she was actually also an Egan High School grad, um, and she was also a pitcher. And she played at Iowa State in college, so she was actually someone that I really looked up to growing up. Um, I'd go to her pitching clinics and just learning from her and just, she was my role model. Um, she had set every pitching record at Egan high school. Um, so naturally when I got there, I was like, well, I'm going to have to break all these records. (laughs) So, um, I did that. We've always had like a little competitive, you know, rivalry with each other. Um, 
but she's great. Um, I still call her a friend. We still get invited out to our high school to go to the alumni day and we've Mm -hmm. thrown out first pitches together and they actually retired both of our jerseys, um, several years ago, which was so cool because we're the only two that have ever done it. But just, you know, as a player and as a coach, um, just, she was always somebody that I looked up to and I was really lucky to have her. So you were actually that driven to break her records or you were just more on the track of good performances and then it became apparent you had a chance to break her records? Yeah. Um, I mean, as a pitcher, you never go into, I don't look at stats and I tell my pitchers, like, don't look at your stats. It's the worst thing you can do. Records Mm -hmm. are going to happen and be broken. That's just, they naturally happen. Um, I just like to joke with her because she would bring it up, um, all the time, but yeah, high school, it was all about wins. Um, I came into Egan high school and, you know, the program was kind of going through a little bit of a turnaround and we had a really talented group. So we actually competed for four um, section championships the four years that I was there, which was awesome. And then my sophomore year, we won the state tournament um, for the first time in school history. And then we made a back-to-back appearance in the next year, my junior year, um, fell short. We won the consolation that year, but it was just really cool to be able to go to state twice in my high school career. And then, like I said, compete for those, you know, section championships all four years where the program really hadn't done that before. So it was really special to be a part of that with my team. And you had one teammate or several teammates that uh, also wound up at the U with you on that team, right? Yeah, just one teammate. So Brie Blanchett, Mm -hmm. um, we actually played, we met at a tryout for 12U Egan softball. Um, We became best friends that day. We had a sleepover that night and then we went on to play um, high school ball together all four years. And then she and I went to college together and played all four years. And she was always in center field behind me. We had the same, you know, the outs, we call it like an outs handshake, you mm-hmm. know, where the pitcher, you know, flashes signs to the outfielders after we get outs. Um, we had the same one in high school and in college. And she to, to this day is still my best friend, which is awesome. And that goes back to those relationships and those friendships and bonds that you form with your teammates. So you're going through your high school career. You're pretty much decided that you're going to the U. Uh, you're having great success. And um, now you're really being courted by uh, a couple of ladies at the university, uh, Lisa Bernstein and Julie Stannering, and comes the time to sign and say yes. And how did that feeling finally feel when it happened? Oh, it was awesome. So signing day was in the fall of my senior year of high school. So I actually feel like I had to wait kind of a long time um, after giving that verbal commitment to actually make it official. And I just remember, you know, thinking in my head, like, I have to stay motivated. Like, it's just a verbal. I know some people just, they stop working after they verbally commit. But in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what, anything can happen. Like, I'm just going to continue to work hard and try to improve and live in the moment. And Um, I signed that fall of my senior year, um, and then fast forward to spring and the, the gopher coaches, um, coach Julie and coach Lisa, they ended up, you know, getting let go. Um, which was, you know, hard for me because I was already, I'd already signed, it was official and Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen next and who was going to come in with, you know, the coaching staff and if they were even going to want me or if I should start looking at other schools, like I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, it was hard to navigate at the time. And I remember playing that whole summer, we waited and waited and they hadn't named a coach yet. And 
August came and they finally announced that um, Jessica Allister was coming in and I had no idea who that was. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I kind of came into my freshman year at Minnesota, just, you know, totally lost. But like also at the same time, I was like, this is kind of a blank slate and we can kind of just right. see where this goes. Well, um, again, I'm going to take a step back and, and, Bring and kind of bring people who don't know a lot about college sports who may be listening. A verbal um, agreement to go to a university kind of says, yes, I want to come to you, and the school says to you, we really want you. But there are certain dates where you can make it official by signing. And I always tell parents who talk to me, that uh, you got to understand, as Sarah said, you got your kid has to keep performing, and and probably stay healthy, um, to make it come through. Because I've seen it so many times in my twenty years of college athletic, uh, you know, full time college athletics, and even my twenty years before when I was a student and volunteer and intern, where somebody stopped, as you said, stopped working or got hurt or got a step slower as they matured and whatnot in the school, yanked the verbal. The verbal um, offer is not binding. The only thing that's binding is the uh, letter of intent once it's signed by the school and by the athlete. So parents beware of that. Uh, going back to the whole, you know, your summer, sum, uh, this, the summer at the year, your senior year in high school. That's easy to say. Um, <laughs> the senior summer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your senior summer. Believe me, nobody had more what the heck's going on with softball questions than me because <laughs> I was on the search committee for, uh, to hire the softball coach, and we offered three different people who turned us down. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, boy. Because uh, uh, the AD at the time, Joe Maturi, asked me to be on that committee, and I told him, sure, I would. And um, then all of a sudden, Mark Ryan, who was the senior sport administrator for softball, came to me and said, hey, we found somebody. She didn't go through the normal uh, process, and I was just told, get a bunch of stuff ready for her. And... Uh, called out to Oregon where she was an, ex- uh, an assistant at the time to their equipment person and got her sizes. Uh, luckily, I had a contact out there. There was a former Gopher Ground School person named Bob O'Grady who was out there at the time, and I got a contact with him, and he put me in contact with the equipment person and uh, got all her sizes. And when she walked in her office that Monday to start, the place was just cluttered with gopher apparel and shoes for her to, to hit the road recruiting. And when I finally went up and met with her, she goes, I like you. I want to keep you. I was like, oh, great. So, um, so, uh, and she made probably one of the biggest decisions in your life. She kept Piper Ritter to be her pitching coach. Uh, what was your first impressions of Coach um, Coach Allister, Coach Merchant, and 
was there any happiness with uh, Coach Ritter being kept? Yeah. I mean, just talking about Coach Ritter first, I had known her since I started going to those camps when I was in middle school. So her staying on the coaching staff, it kind of brought me a little bit of comfort. Like it wasn't starting over with all brand new coaches. And I knew that I was going to spend the most time with her since she was our pitching coach. Um, But my first impressions of coach Alistair, I just remember we met in one of those like lecture rooms and she walked in and I think I remember, honestly, my first thought was like, wow, she is so young. (laughs) Um, Just, she just looked like she was our age. Like it was crazy. I was like, she looks young. Um, Coach Merchant was right behind her. Um, But the first like words out of her mouth, like I just remember, like she just meant business. And like the first thing she did from us was just like demand respect and like just the way she like carried herself and talked like she she just seemed like she'd been doing it for a really long time. Um, And I just remember freshman year was such a blur anyways, but it was probably the most challenging year and we were pushed, you know, to our limits, like mm-hmm. conditioning and practice. And you're just kind of like thrown into it all. And I hadn't, I didn't know like what the culture was like before, obviously with the other coaching staff, since I never got to be a part of it, where like I thought I knew. Um, so I kind of like, like I said, I, t- I treated it like a blank slate. Um, and I'm sure, you know, that's kind of what Coach Alistair did too. And then she just started building her culture. And, you know, I bought in right away on day one and I saw her vision and I was like, I will work as hard as I can to, you know, get that for her. Um, I wanted to be a part of it. You know, we had a big turnover. We had athletes that had played that, you know, stepped away that first season. Um, I think we had one of the smallest rosters that, you know, the softball team had ever had. I remember traveling and there was like 14 or 15 of us at the time, you know, it kind of felt like a summer ball roster versus like a college roster that could have like up to 22 kids traveling um, it, it was a blur, like I said, but, you know, we took some lumps, but we also like, we won some games and we improved that first year than the year before. And I think that that was always the goal was right. be better the next year, like be better than the last year, like that year's in the past, like let's work even harder. And that's kind of the stepping stones that we took. They added the recruits in, um, they started getting, you know, some key positions filled, um, when we had some gaps and then fast forward to senior year we're winning the big 10 championship against michigan we're hosting a a regional and then we went off to the super regionals for the first time in program history right um i never would have thought that that's where we would get to you know just thinking back to that freshman year where i'm pretty sure we finished like you know probably like right in the middle of the big 10 pact which again like i said was an improvement from the year before where i think that they were closer to the bottom yeah we finished Um, we finished last that year. I think we had one yeah. Big Ten win. Um, I kind of knew there'd be a change. Sure. And um, like I said, I was part of uh, interviewing coaches, but like I said, I never interviewed interviewed the person who actually got the job. Um, sure. You know that I'm one thing I'm famous for. Everybody got a nickname, and I'm not not going to state yours, so you're okay. Um, but I am going to let the cat out of the bag of the three, your, uh, your three coaches, which was the boss lady, the assassin in Hollywood. So, um, (laughs) coach Alistair was the boss lady. Coach Merchant was the assassin and, uh, coach Ritter. And I still call her this Hollywood. So, cause she always wanted to add jazz, something jazzy to everything that was brought up. 
go, would you go sit in the corner over there, Hollywood and calm down? <laughs> and and um, actually, Coach Merchant and Coach uh, Alistair laughed their butt out when I called her that. So, but no, That's they awesome. all got um, they all got uh, you know, and everybody got a nickname from me. And actually, I'm sitting in my man cave right now with. Uh, your jersey that I sold the number, resold the number back on is hanging in a frame. Aww, and awesome. um, a picture for, for each one of those that they had to sign. That was the deal. If I can find a photo of them, they had to sign it. Coach, Coach Ritter was real easy because she played at Minnesota. Um, and Coach uh, Merchant was actually pretty easy, too. So... It actually yeah. took me four years to find a picture of Coach Alistair playing. Sure. She goes, you'll never, f-, and she, you know, and she was an All-American catcher at Stanford. She goes, you'll never find one. And I was like, and I was looking through old catalogs one day, and her picture was on the back of a old, I think, Wilson or um, Easton or somebody's catalog. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> There she is. And they were playing against Michigan in the College World Series. So I found it. Uh, You're right. They were very demanding. Uh, The team did get pretty small because people decided to leave. Um, And it was a week where it seemed like every day I got a phone call to grab the stuff from this person and that person. But it kind of told me we were heading in the right direction. In the first year, we were middle of the pack. And then it got better and better. And, and the opening, because every year you guys would open the season with a team meeting up in the press box of the stadium. And uh, 2014 uh, team meeting, before I went up there, I looked at uh, – person that shared the equipment room with is like I gotta go and um, speak to the team the softball team and um, by the way they're gonna win it this year and I went to the meeting and I said that in the meeting also and mm-hmm. she yelled at me of course <laughs> as I was walking <laughs> up the door and again later on she yelled at me what was so special about 2014 yeah, 2014 was super special. Um, you know, obviously, like, it's, it was my senior season. So, for me, it was, you know, that last chance to wear maroon and gold for an entire year. Um, last chance to lace up the cleats and play at Jane Sage Cowell Stadium. Um, it hit hard. Like, I remember I, I got emotional in our first team meeting, and I expressed, like, this was my last year. And, you know, like, let's do it for like our seniors who have been here. Like it was, it was quite a journey. It was a year of reflection on the three years previous. Um, and just, you know, you want to go out on top and we had unfinished business. And I, I want to say, wasn't that our, was that our slogan for the year that year? I think that might've been like one of the, you'd always come in with like something. And I think unfinished business was one of them. It was either junior or senior year. But it was still unfinished at that point because we had just lost the Big Ten championship my junior year. So that was our focus this year was, you know, in 2014 was to take that back and to win it. Um, And everyone was on the same page. Everyone had that same goal. So we were rallying together that whole season. And we just we had some 
awesome, unforgettable wins leading up into that Big Ten tournament. And we just had so much momentum. And we were ready to take on Michigan in that championship game. Um, and I'll never forget just battling back and forth. You know, we started Sarah Grunwig in that game. I came in. Um, our defense made some spectacular plays behind us. And then little Sammy Mackin getting the game-winning hit. It's still the most bizarre thing, but they keep they re-air it every year, and I just right. have to watch it. <laughs> just like, how did that happen? But yeah. it was, she hit it, was it with a lot of backspin. When the, uh, she's she swung at a pitch above her head right. and somehow hit it like tomahawked it into the ground. But that's just the type of player that she was. But that was definitely, you know, the icing on the cake. We we completed our mission. Our business was finished. But getting to host the regional was a special experience as well. Um, and then winning that that was the the day we played Auburn the final day. I think we were at the field for like 16 hours. Right. Um, and then just we just kept fighting and that whole team was full of fight and then winning that and going on to the super regional and eventually we ran out of gas but you know we were two wins away from making it to the world series and i didn't even realize that at the time because it was just like it was so unknown but what an incredible way to go out like i honestly like people ask if i'd go back and do it over again and I, I honestly say no. Like, I feel like I left it all out there. Like, sure, I wish we would have, you know, won two more games and made it to the World Series. But, you know, every career must come to an end at some point. But I can honestly say that I left everything that I had out on, you know, that field. Well, I never forget that night uh, you guys won the Big Ten tournament. Uh, baseball had a home game. And at the time, I had both teams, baseball and softball. So I could not go with you guys to the tournament. And um, I'm sitting in a dugout, and I'm looking at my phone. And, and, and then Rob Fornasier, of all people, would ask me for an update. And I looked at him and said, and I almost said, you? And I went, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we're, we're down by a run. And then I'd look at my phone later, and again, either him or, or Coach Swenson at the time would say, Coach Swede would say, what's going on? And I'd say, uh, it's tied now. Then Coach Oaks would ask me, and then Coach Anderson. And by the way, when we hired Coach uh, Alistair, Coach Anderson looked at me and said, she's awfully young, isn't she? <laughs> and I said, huh, kind of reminds me of a baseball coach we had here that got hired at the same age of 26. And he goes, oh, that's right. And he walked away from me. So they had both gotten hired at the same age, 26, to be the head. Sure. John was the head baseball coach and still is, and she became the head softball coach. But um, we finally got the baseball game over with, and I got back into Beerman, and I'm collecting uniforms, and I get the TV turned on in the equipment room, and I'm watching the game, and, and as you said, that game was going on and on and on. And... Um, and I watched Sam hit that ball. And by the way, we were hoping to have Sam with us also, but she's busy trying to get married, and I understand what's <laughs> going on. So, And, uh, you know, by the time she left there, I said, Sam, you're a pretty boring ball player because all you do is hit doubles. So, uh, <laughs> and, um, and I think I said this to you once. You're a very selfish ball player because your teammates never get to touch the ball in the field because all you did was strike out people. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, 
I got to see Sam hit that ball and watch you guys go crazy on the screen. And um, we had a baseball game the next day, so I had to do uniforms, and I'm just buzzing the whole night, and I couldn't sleep once I got home because I was so happy for you guys and just the way. And then to find out to host a regional, it was just a great time. Uh, for Gopher softball to finally, you know, to have a, a renaissance and just be able to celebrate, you know, all that hard work, like you said, for four years of hard work. Um, so you move on and you, you, so the things that we didn't talk about for those years were you also were named all Big Ten, and I believe you were named that the season before, correct? I think so. I think I was all Big Ten all four years. Okay. Um, obviously making like a different, like first team, second team, honorable right. mention, like something different every year. And how was that for you? It was awesome. You know, like I said, like the awards, they came, they went. Um, you know, when people ask me back about my career, like I honestly, I don't think about the individual accomplishments, but I just, I only think about the team ones. And, Everyone's like, well, what was your favorite thing? And it's always, you know, I always go back to that, like, high school state championship that we won as a team and then winning that Big Ten championship um, my senior year. Those are probably my two favorite and my most, like, treasured softball memories for sure. And then your senior year, you were named an All-American. How was that? Yeah, that was pretty special. And, you know, I I thought I had a really good junior season um, on the mound as well, and I remember I was kind of disappointed when the All-American teams came out and I wasn't on it. Um, I'll admit, like, I was sad and frustrated and, you know, I let myself be like that for a couple of days. But I think it, it really lit a fire under me because I was like, you know what, you have one more chance to work really hard and, you know, like, let's do it this go out senior year and with a bang. And that was, you know, in the back of my mind, I was working towards that goal, but focused on the team goals first. And it's interesting, like, when you focus on, like, the team goals, like, all the individual goals, um, they get accomplished. And you don't even have to really worry about it. And I think that that took took a lot of pressure off, you know, and it's a team sport. And if you get wrapped up in, like, your individual accomplishments, you know, it's it's not the same feeling. Um, So when I got that phone call, I was actually out in Chicago playing with the Bandits at the time. And it was it was really special and i remember my dad was my first phone call and i was like dad i did it like i made the all-american team and he didn't believe me at first and i was just over the moon about it but like i said it was just like the icing on the cake that whole entire season you know like my dreams all like really did come true you were the first all-american in softball in decades correct uh yes i might have been the first pitcher as well so that, that was time. pretty big. It didn't last long. <laughs> no, that's pretty big. Um, you broke a ton of records held by your pitching coach, Coach Ritter, who's now the head coach for the softball program. And they, at the uh, at the time of this taping, they they won a game against uh, Arizona State today. So, for, oh, good. I haven't haven't checked that score yet. Right, forks down. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Forks down. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they didn't win the second game against Oklahoma State. But uh, anyway, we'll celebrate the good stuff. But she's Absolutely. now the head uh, head coach. 
how was it having her being your position coach and breaking her records at the same time? You know, it was, it's interesting because I was in a similar situation that I was at with my high school coach where, you know, they both played for the school that I was at and both had set all the records. But um, I honestly didn't think about the college records um, at all. Um, going into my senior season, Coach Ritter actually called me into her office to do some goal setting and just talk about things. Um, and she was very blunt with me and she said, hey, there's going to be a lot of attention on you this year because you're going to break all of my records. Like it's going to happen. We don't even need to like think or talk about it or, you know, focus on it. She's like, records are made, need to be broken. They're going to happen, but what are we going to do, you know, to get the team to where we want it to get to. So she was good with, you know, shifting that focus. And we knew in the back of our minds, like they were going to happen. They were, you know, midway through the season, we were going to start creeping in on them, but she really did a good job of keeping me grounded and just, keeping my focus on that big 10 title at the end of the season and just one pitch at a time getting there. Well, you also had a, uh, a great influence on a freshman pitcher that year, <laughs> uh, Sarah Gronwagen. And it started like this great run of pitchers and it, uh, and even before you came, uh, and I can never remember Bree's last name. Brianna Hassett. Hassett. Yes, thank you. Yes. Uh, she was a very good pitcher, also. And we would, we finished last in the conference, like I said. But she also would lose games one, uh, two to one, one to nothing, sure. <laughs> and things like that. It was like the most maddening thing in the world. Here she is pitching her heart out. And she was kind of setting some records at the time, too. And uh, we were just losing, losing, losing. Um, how was your relationship with, uh, as you guys called her, G, uh, Sarah Gronwagen at the time? Yeah, it was good. Um, I always say, like, pitchers were kind of in our own little bubble. Um, we were, you know, a little bit more removed from, like, team practices and stuff because our bullpen was off to the side. Um, so we kind of just we became really close, like really quickly. Um, we also shared the same name, which we obviously called ourselves Sarah squared right away. Um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed spending time with her. Um, we actually were friends off the field as well. Um, not just, you know, teammates, which, you know, as a senior and a freshman, you're like, how could we possibly have things in common? But we did spend a lot of time together, you know, on the field and in practice, but then also off the field as well. So we, you know, we developed that trust. We developed that sisterhood, um, we really relied heavily on each other. I mean, she was really good. And I was like, okay, this, I'm going to have to keep working. Otherwise, you know, I could potentially like lose my spot to a freshman. Um, you know, that's competitive me and like always in the back of my mind, right. you know, keep working, keep working. But it was really nice to like, we had, we had very like different, but also similar like styles of play. Um, she was a little bit more like upspin, um, and I was more downspin. So we kind of learned quickly, like how well we worked together, like in games where, you know, she would start and I would come in or I would start and she would come in. It kept teams, you know, off balance. And I really think like that was utilized really well in that big 10 championship game where she started and pitched the first three innings. And then I finished the last four. Um, it really like it, it tricked them. It, it, it worked. Um, but again, like she was such a competitor and I was such a competitor that I think having us together for one year, you know, it made us better. But I also feel like I had a, you know, being a senior, I had that role of like, you know, you know, 
helping her out and like teaching her the ropes quickly because I knew that she was going to be the future of that program. And I wanted to leave it, you know, better than, you know, when I came in. So I did, I felt like I did a decent job of, you know, coaching her and like mentoring her along the way too. But like she pushed me as well. So it it worked out really well for us that year. And the stands started to really fill up at that point. Um, and we also had um, other pitchers come through, like the left-handed Nikki uh, Anderson and also um, Amber Pfizer. Uh, I called her Pill because her last name is a pharmaceutical, spelled differently, but it's the yeah. same as a pharmaceutical company, so I just yep. called her Pill. Um, so there became this line of pitchers, but there really became a buzz around softball and uh, you know, the sellouts and things like that. And it all started with, and it's still continuing to this day, but it all started with that 2014 team. How was this, that super regional victory for you? Oh, it was, I mean, uh, regional. the regional. Yeah. yeah. That was so cool. I mean, I just remember we, we knew we were playing home games, but there were the amount of people that came into the stands they, I think, I don't know if they put extra seating yes. out there at that time. That's yeah. It, it just seemed like a different stage that we were playing on. It was totally different than like any, you know, big 10 home series that we were hosting. Um, I just, I do laugh at this cause I remember we had the big tall wood wall at the time. Mm-hmm. So teams were just out there like running it. The outfielders were practicing running into the wall and like playing balls off the wall, which I felt like I was like, we were at a huge advantage because we've been doing this for the last four years, but now they have a nice little padded wall out right. there, but we just joke all the time about how dangerous that wall probably was um, for people. But yeah, the atmosphere at that regional was electric and, you know, every single game that we were playing, it seemed like it was like a, you know, a sold out crowd, which it was kind of overwhelming because it was, you know, the biggest crowds we'd ever played in front of before. But even that day where, we had that long 16 hours um, and had to beat. Um, we had, we beat Auburn in the last game, obviously, but they they had they had beat us. I think we played them three times. I don't know if it was over one day or two days, but I felt like we were constantly playing Auburn. And that last day, it was like a 16 hour day at the ball ball field. But the fans were they stayed with us the whole time. And yeah. when we won, it was just it was electric and it was so loud and. We couldn't even believe it. I remember seeing Coach Alistair and Coach Merchant just, like, look at each other like, what just happened? <laughs> like, we're going to a Super Regional. Um, it was so cool. And we weren't done yet, obviously. Um, so we got to play another week, which was so special. Yeah, we we um, got another set of bleachers that went down the third baseline that, um, you know, faced the left fielder. And um, also they put up some temporary standing boards along the outfield for people to stand on those. And, um, I mean, you couldn't find a seat. The Auburn people were upset because they were made to come north because, you know, all the SEC schools thought they should host. And um, they were made to come north, and all they did was complain the whole weekend that they were there. And um, (laughs) complain about this and complain about that. And the coach looked at me after we beat him. He said, this is a crappy place, and this is this and this. The only good thing about this has been you. And then he walks off, and I was like, huh, all right, well, thanks. And <laughs> it's a backhanded compliment, but we'll take it. Right. 
<laughs> and so um, we're celebrating, and then you guys go on to the Super Regional, and like you said, you run out of gas. Uh, then you, you're moving on to pros. Were you drafted, or were you signed as a free agent? Yep. I was drafted fifth overall. Um, I was actually studying for a test and Brittany merchant was coach Merchant's sister. She Mm -hmm. texted me and was like, congratulations. And I had no idea what she was talking about because, um, I think Sarah Gronewagen had just earned like pitcher or player of the week for the big 10. And I think I was like typing back like wrong Sarah, but then like more people started flooding my inbox. And then someone said, look at Twitter. And I was like confused. So I opened my Twitter and I saw like the Chicago Bandits graphic and like all these like pro players welcoming me to the team and to the league. And I remember calling my dad and just being like, I have no idea what's happening right now, but I think I just got drafted to go play professional softball. And I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, yeah. So it was kind of like a, like a <laughs> interesting experience, like finding out that I was drafted. Um, I completed my season um, with the golfers and we flew home and I had 12 hours to pack up my small apartment that I had lived in for three years, um, bring all my stuff home to Egan, to my parents' house, like unpack, throw it in the house. And then I had to get to the airport to fly to Chicago um, to go get on the bus and get to their opening weekend games, which were in Akron, Ohio. So it was a very quick, like 48 hours, like getting in Chicago, going into my first practice and getting on a new team right away. Like it was, it was bizarre and it was, I was tired and it was crazy and, I played another 55 game summer season just right after the college one completed. So you were being whooshed away to pro ball and it was crazy what was going on in the newspapers in the twin cities at the time, you guys had made the front page of the sports. I mean, and not like the bottom of the front page, the top part of the front page of the sports. And it was like, what is, and it was like, what is going on here? You know, it was like frameable stuff for you guys and whatnot. But then you get drafted, and then that was big news. Um, so how was professional softball? I think you were the first player from the University of Minnesota since Coach <laughs> Coach Ritter. <laughs> so, Surprise. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was such an incredible experience. Like like I said, like not many people get to say that they went pro in their sport. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect going into Chicago. It was very similar to, you know, high or not high school, college ball, um, in the sense that we traveled, um, to go play away games and then we had home games. Um, I think the coolest thing for me, and it kind of felt like I was just like in the twilight zone, that rookie season with the bandits, um, like Monica Abbott was one of my teammates and I had like grown up like idolizing her. And then we were playing against Kat Osterman and all these Olympians that I had grown up watching, you know, on my TV screen, um, like winning, you know, gold medals and silver medals for team USA. And I got to share the field with them, you know, as teammates and as opponents. And it was just, I was just like, Holy smokes. Like, do I belong here? Like it was just, you know, it was a crazy experience. And, um, I know my, my rookie year, I was very wide eyed about the whole thing, but I played two more seasons after that. Um, we won back to back, you know, world championships with the bandits. Um, and then in 2016, I decided to announce my retirement, um, just so that I could focus on my business and, you know, my career a little bit more full time. Cause it was hard to, you know, 
go to Chicago from May to August and right. play and then, you know, hope that my life stayed together back home, like while I was gone. So that was a tough choice. But again, like I felt like I got everything out of my pro experience that, you know, I could have asked for. And I would definitely, I'd love to go back and do it again, but I, I feel fulfilled. So what was, and be, be blunt about, about it as possible. How was the pay? How was the travel? How was the food of uh, professional softball? Was it less than college or a little bit? I, the, I, you know, you didn't get paid in college, but let's start off. How was the pay? Yeah. So, you know, pay was very minimal. Um, you know, I came in making like the bare minimum, you know, as a rookie. Um, we did have like some opportunities to make a little bit more, um, if you worked like camps and clinics and stuff. And I, I genuinely enjoyed doing that. Um, obviously that was like my job back home. So, um, I signed up for as much as I could, but I mean, it's not something that you could live off of. Um, like I definitely would have made more back at home, you know, working than I was playing, but I was all, I was just playing for the experience. Um, um, in that sense too, you know, traveling was tough you know, the pro league was a little different than college. Um, we ended up busing to a lot of places where in college they, it was kind of like a luxury, like being able to fly everywhere right. um, since we had school the next day, like they made sure we got to and from as quickly as possible to where, you know, playing in the pro league, we would play a home game, um, finish the game around like nine or 10 PM, stay after to sign autographs by then it's like 11 PM and we're getting on a bus to go play the next day out in like Akron, Ohio, um, so taking like an overnight bus trip and we were always like fingers crossed, like we didn't have to pitch that next day. Cause a lot of us would just like sleep on the floor of the bus. Um, we'd get there at like seven in the morning and then just crash until you had to be awake again, um, to go play that night. But, you know, it was, it was tough, but I, I enjoyed every second of it. Some of those bus trips, like you had a chance to like get to know your teammates a little bit better. Um, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't ideal to travel through the night, but we had to get to and from. And, you know, at the time, um, there were just, it wasn't in the budget to fly everywhere, like in college or so just a little different, but you know, I, I honestly, I tell people all the time, like I would have played for free just to get that experience. Um, and just be able to, you know, talk about it later. I actually went over and played in Europe in 2015 and that trip was like, you know, I, I, they paid for my flight and my, my housing and I stayed with the host family and I didn't make anything on that, but that was honestly one of the best times of my life. I was there for two months and got to see a lot of the world when I was there. So you said that you're, uh, pay, being paid, uh, minimal. Uh, so were you responsible for your own food or did they at least feed you? <laughs> Yeah, good question. Um, so they housed us, which was really nice, especially like living in Chicago. Um, you know, it's expensive to live out there. So they provided us housing. Um, they provided us with like meal money, like on the road. So we just got, you know, kind of like in college, like you get X amount um, to go towards like food and stuff. Um, and then we had obviously like our player salaries, which, you know, everyone was on like a different one. So I can only speak to mine, but yes, it was. It was minimal, but like I said, I probably would have done it for free just for the experience. And how was the atmosphere? How was the fans? How was the stadiums? How, you know. Yeah, it was cool. So in Chicago, I think we had the only um, like softball field, and it was an all-turf field, but we were the only team in the league that had like just a softball field. Like The other places that we went to we usually played on 
either like a college field, like a rec field or like a baseball field that they would make a little bit smaller um, for us to fit in there. Um, but yeah, Chicago was great. Like we always, we had sold out crowds all the time. Um, it felt like home. It was so cool. Um, one of my favorite things was, you know, staying after every game and signing autographs for fans. Like the little kids always wanted to take pictures with you and it like, it made their day, which was, I was like, this is what it's all about. It's about that, the next generation, like putting smiles on their faces and, you know, there's, they're sitting out here until 11 PM, you know, watching us play softball and just looking up to us and we're role models to them. And that was definitely one of my favorite parts. And that's why I made sure that I did most of the like clinics and the camps that we offered and just giving back to that next generation. It was, it was such a special experience, but the whole experience was just so memorable and just so awesome. And I was just very blessed to be able to have that opportunity. So uh, there's a new league called the Alliance where they play for points that turn in, I believe that turns into cash. <laughs> uh, have you followed that at all? I followed it a little bit. Um, we like at our facility strikes on sports, we've got, you know, TVs on both sides. Like Sam and I like to throw on the college games um, like in the spring. And then we obviously keep the world series games on just for our clients entertainment, but also so we can follow along. And then all summer we, we get all of those games, all the pro games on. Um, I still don't really understand how the scoring works. I guess I haven't taken time to understand it, but it's it's really cool to see some of the former girls that I used to play with, like still continuing their careers um, and playing, and then obviously watching like some former Gophers in the mix now too. And then from uh, I think it was between year one and year two of your pro career, there was a transformation, correct? Um, yes, for me, yes, there was. <laughs> you want to talk <laughs> yes. about that at all? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I decided to make a like a healthy lifestyle change. Um, you know, after college, I went to play in the pro league, and I just, you know, I knew I gained some weight in college. Um, I just like had it in the back of my mind because I was so focused on finishing out my career as a gopher, and then I'd focus on myself after that. Um, but I ended up, you know, just deciding that I wanted to get healthier and like start eating better and just start working out more. I picked up running as a hobby, which back then I didn't think was even going to be possible. Um, but I really stuck with that. So I guess now, like how many years later is this, um, math, this is nine years later now. Um, I have, you know, kept off like 70 pounds. Um, and I've totally like, transformed my eating habits and my lifestyle. But yeah, I, going through the transformation was crazy because, you know, you start running, you change your eating and, you know, mm -hmm. your weight just starts falling off right away. Um, it was almost like I had to relearn how to pitch again because, you know, my timing was off, you know, my stomach got smaller. So my arm was further away from my hip than it used to be. Um, but yeah, that was kind of, it was fun to, you know, see like a different person, you know, emerge and like my confidence got better and, you know, I just, I just felt better. You know, I didn't have to take naps every day like I did in college. And, right. you know, I don't know if it's because they work just so hard or, you know, just when you're not eating healthy, you get tired after meals and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it was honestly the best decision I could have made for myself. Um, and like I said, I kind of had to relearn to pitch again and just, I lost some velocity at first and then had to, you know, figure all of that out. But um, I'm a much happier person now. I'm more active. And like I said, I've kept off 70 pounds over the last nine years. So 
it's definitely something that I've made a priority in my life. And I finally like feel like I have control over it. Well, just to let you know, I got yelled at once because I went to the coaches and I said, uh, Sarah just went up a pant size. Should we be concerned? <laughs> Coach Alice just said, <laughs> no, and get out of my office. <laughs> How dare you ask that question? I was like, okay, and I just left. <laughs> I never oh, spoke my gosh. About- <laughs> I had no idea that this <laughs> I never spoke about it again. It's like, oh, <laughs> made me feel bad. <laughs> so... I think I had talks with them about it too. Cause I knew like I wasn't happy, but it's, it's hard. Like, and I knew you can't change a big thing and then expect like all the other things to stay the same. So that's why like, I remember telling Katie Richardson, I was like, I'm going to lose a ton of weight after, after college. Like I won't have the school piece to worry about, you know, cause like in college you really have like you have school softball and social to like mm-hmm. focus on. There was no room for like a weight loss journey or like a healthy lifestyle change. Um, it would have just been too much. So once I like, you know, graduated, I didn't have the, the school piece anymore. I went and played in Chicago, you know, the social piece, it was kind of still there. Like I was getting to know new people, but I really only had to focus on softball and my performance. So I felt like I had more time to really like, you know, dive in, get to know, like, you know, how many, you know, calories and like protein and like just macros and all the things that you need, you know, on a daily. And I was able to like re-educate myself and kind of like learn a bunch of new things that I obviously wouldn't have had time for in college. But that's so funny. I, that, that made me laugh. I appreciate that story. <laughs> and you just mentioned Katie Richardson, who uh, actually wound up coaching for a year, but she became the next All-American the next year for go for softball we actually had quite a run there for a few was it three four five years straight there was an all-american sitting at the university of minnesota in softball which was mind-blowing for a lot of people yeah i always told joel it was probably one of his either his first or second best hires at the university of minnesota as an ad was coach allister so i would agree with that um (laughs) and then also and don't sell yourself short on this. You have become, and I don't know if you're continuing, but you became um, a marathoner. I don't know if I'd call myself a marathoner, <laughs> but I have run four marathons in the last nine years. And, you know, I don't got to be like almost double digit half marathons, which to me seems like a much better distance. But then you run a half marathon and then you're like, huh. Oh, can I go a little further? But if you're going to go further, you might as well sign up for a full one. Um, But yes, I have, I became a runner for like eight, the first eight years of that, you know, lifestyle journey and change that I was on. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, the weight fell off right away. And when you see results, like you get addicted to something because you're like, it's working for me. But you know, this past year, like running, I don't have the body for it. You know, like, it's just, I don't have the knees. I don't have the feet. Like I crack whenever I stand up. So this past year, I've really been kind of diving into weightlifting a little bit more, which was something I hadn't done since college. Um, I think in my mind, I attributed like weightlifting to like my heavier self. And I think I was scared if I started lifting weights again, I'd start gaining weight again. And it, it was a mind battle a little bit, but um, you know, I had to listen to my body, like running was starting to hurt it. Um, I still run, you know, three to four days a week before I was running like six days a week. So 
I cut it down a little bit, but now I've been able to kind of focus a little bit more on, you know, a different journey, which has been like kind of getting back into the weight room and, you know, getting stronger instead of like the goal was like to be skinny. And now I'm like, I want to be strong. You know, I want to be able to stand on my feet for, you know, my seven hours I'm giving lessons during the day. And, you know, I want to look strong um, and I want to, you know, be able to challenge myself mentally and physically in new ways as well. Well, I'll give you the same advice as I gave on one of my previous podcast episodes when I talked to a, a running coach um, as an equipment person. Go to a running store and have your shoes prescribed to you. Yes. It will yes. cut down a lot of other problems as a runner. You just don't buy shoes that look cute. <laughs> that's the difficult part <laughs> right. or that you love the color of this that and the other no as an equipment person for a track team for 10 years at the university of minnesota i i learned that the uh training shoes that they wore were actually prescribed by the trainers uh the athletic medicine people would uh, come in after I, I had sized them and um and um, they would come back and tell me what shoe would work best for that athlete. So, and that's when I learned more that's kept me as a runner, the uh, shoe model that works best for me. So, sure. uh, Absolutely. You know, I'll be 61 in May and people st and ask me, how do I continue to run? And I said, it's well, flexibility, uh, rehab, and making sure I have the right shoe on my feet because as a runner, that's the only piece of equipment you have is a shoe. So, right. so you've gone through pro softball and you've kind of dabbled at starting your own business. Um, did you have the location first or did you just kind of move around it first or how did you build this business? Now we get to yeah. talk about uh, Sarah Moulton, the entrepreneur. Um, yeah. So going back to 2014, I you know completed college, completed my pro season. I got home um, and my parents were like, all right, well, you got to get a job now. And I was like, I just completed 110 softball games in like six months. Let's hang out for a second. Like, let's figure this out. But um, yeah, I'm glad they pushed me a little bit because I studied uh, business marketing in college. So I kind of thought I'd end up, you know, in a career where I was doing some sort of marketing. Um, I was going to get ready to start sending resumes to like the twins and the Timberwolves. Um, I wanted to stay around sports. Mm -hmm. So right around that time, I got a phone call from my pitching coach growing up who was still giving pitching lessons in the Egan area. And she asked if, you know, I wanted to team up with her and become her business partner. And maybe start something in Minnesota that hadn't been done yet. Um, and, you know, starting an indoor softball pitching facility. And I said, that sounds great. Like, what do we have to do? So we started looking for a space. Um, we actually found one and settled in a place in Egan, which was my hometown. So, you know, I was like, this is meant to be. Um, we started it in October, um, got it really running November. So once we put like carpet down and got our pitching lanes and bought some mats and stuff, um, we ran that together for three years and then she ended up moving away in 2017 and I, you know, 
just really loved what I was doing and I had built a client base and I didn't want to leave anybody hanging. So I signed a five year lease on my own. And then a couple of years into that lease, um, I got a call from Sam Mackin who, you know, was looking for a different adventure. Um, she had dabbled in like the club scene, um, with softball and like coaching and all the, those things. And she said that she just wanted to focus on the training aspect. And I said, sure. I mean, I have a facility. It's, it's three lanes for basically pitching, but I would love to start some hitting and like some fielding and start building this thing. Cause I had this dream, um, but I just needed the right people in place to, you know, right. to help it grow. Um, so she came on and literally like a month later, this is in 2020 now COVID hit. Um, we got kicked out of the facility for a couple months and it was tough. Cause I was like, wow, this is, you know, I got to keep Sam happy and keep her here. Cause we have this vision now. Um, but we're both, you know, we're not allowed to be in our facility. Um, but things settled down. We got back on track that summer. And then in 2021, we actually got a phone call that the building, the, the people occupying the unit next door to us, they were leaving. Um, so we had a chance to expand. And I said, we need to take this because Sam brought a ton of people with her when she came in and I had my people and we wanted to add more instruct instructors. So we took a huge risk like the year right after COVID. Um, and we blew the wall down and we returfed the whole facility. So it was 6,000 square feet. Now we added batting cages. So we had three batting cages, three pitching lanes. We made a workout area and, you know, fast forward to now we hold like strength and conditioning classes. We have, um, 10 probably workers, you know, professional college mm -hmm. and high school that are teaching and giving back to that next generation. And, just our operations are just, we're growing, we're giving offsite clinics, coaches clinics, summer camps. Um, we've really taken off, which has been, it's been so special. And it's, I literally walk in every day and I'm like, I, I was here when, <laughs> you know, it was the, the 3000 square foot just pitching facility. And now we've doubled in space and just seeing our space being used by people. It's just, it's a very humbling experience um, for me every time I walk in the door. Yeah, you, know, you, uh, you mentioned that you, you're doing this with Sam. And as I jokingly said earlier, all she hit was, was doubles because uh, her senior year, at the, <laughs> she was one of the top doubles hitters in the country. Um, every time the ball seemed to hit her bat, it was off the wall somewhere. Um, and I thought that was a great partnership. But you also brought in other people, too. Some of my other favorite people, like um, uh, Sid Dwyer and um, Taylor LeMay, to uh, work on catchers, which, oddly enough, if you're going to have pitching, you got to have somebody who could teach catchers. So, Absolutely. And you have other people from other schools and uh, whatnot, and it just seems to keep growing. What is it about that business that uh, people sign their kids up for? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think it's just our instructors are incredible. Um, we're all women. We all played college ball at the highest level. So we have the credentials, but like, doesn't mean you can always like, teach it. But these women that we have working for us, um, they the way that they talk to our athletes, you know, they're encouraging, but they're also like their role models and they're just strong, independent women, um, for these athletes to look up to. And they all are able to teach and they're, they're so passionate about softball and the position that they've played. And 
you know, all of these young kids, their dreams are to, you know, be in our shoes one day and go on and play college, college softball. And we've even had kids, they, they joking. I think they're joking when they say like, I want to work at strike zone sports one day. And just hearing those types of like comments just makes our jobs like just so much more wonderful. And we have some of the best families that, you know, we work with, um, it just, it, it makes our jobs easier, but it also creates an atmosphere where people enjoy coming to work. People enjoy coming to our facility just to practice on their own. And then people enjoy coming and working with our instructors and furthering their games that way. Um, we built something like, it's very special and it's very unique. And I'm, it's, this will be my ninth year going into it. And I can't believe next year will be year 10, but just thinking back to where we were on year one and where we're at now, it's like night and day. Yeah, I got to get out there. The day that I tried to come, you guys were closed. So. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you got to text me first. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would love to have you out there. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. And just to let you know, and I don't know when this is going to happen, but it's going to happen in the next couple of years because I'm getting up there. Uh, I have this plan when I retire to spend two days a week out there. So uh, yeah, helping you guys, um, be it doing glove work for people or just moving crap around for you guys or fixing stuff or whatever. So Uh-oh, you're going to be our next facility manager. I might have to fire Jeff Moulton first. <laughs> 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 um, we would definitely love to have you around JB. Yeah. So you, you have all these wonderful people. Um, and things are going gangbusters. Uh, can you tell me why you think the game of softball is still growing and exploding? And now it's great, great watch on TV. People will prefer to watch a college softball game before they'll watch a college baseball game. Why, yeah. why do you think the game is still exploding and growing every year? Yeah, and it, it is so exciting to see that. Um you know, I just, there's just something about softball and it goes back to like when I was a little kid and I fell in love with this sport when I was like eight or nine years old. Um, but I just think there's just being able to see college games on TV. Um, it used to just be like, you know, the like super regional games were aired on ESPN and then the world series games. But now they're offering like all of these games, like you can follow all the teams in these preseason games now, which, you know, it gets people excited um, leading up into those regional rounds, super regional and world series games. Um, I know we, we purchased that ESPN plus subscription mm -hmm. so we could watch all these games at our facility and, you know, parents walk in with their kids and they're like, Oh, we didn't know softball was on. And it's exciting to be like, yeah, you can watch any game pretty much any time now. Um, so just, you know, that TV platform launch, I think has helped a ton. Um, there's tournaments all summer long for like the youth and it's just, it's always, if you drive anywhere in the summer, you're going to drive by a ball field in whatever state you, you live in. And you're usually going to see softball or baseball being played. Um, and it's just, it's just a, such a fantastic sport. I mean, there's so many life lessons that you can learn along the way and you see so much growth in these kids in just a short amount of time. And I don't know this, I'm a little biased because my favorite sport I ever played. So but it's just there's something very special about this sport. Um, and now it's my mission to, you know, teach all these kids everything that I know and help them get set up for success in their futures. 
And have you had some kids go, you probably have had a few go off to college at this point? Yeah, we have. I, I think, so we do these um, like pennant boards um, right. for our like seniors once they sign. Um, they get a board and then they put, you know, a pennant of whatever, you know, school they're going to go off and play at. They decorate the board with pictures. They write their like high school graduation year and then like where they're going to college on it and their name. Um, and then we drill it to the wall um, at Strike Zone. So when people walk in, they see this whole row of, you know, these boards with pennants on it. And all the parents are like, oh, my gosh, like, who are all these people? And it's, we're so proud to tell them that, you know, these are kids that we coached and they got to go off and live their dreams and play in college. And it's kind of like our alumni wall, we call it, you know, with our with our Strike Zone kids. Um I thought I counted like 25 on the wall the other day, and I think we just put the 27th one up. So okay. we have like a big 2023 and 2024 class coming, so we've been giving out a lot of boards. Um, we're actually running out of wall space, so right. we're going to have to get creative. And it's kind of fun to see the little kids like realize like, oh, my gosh, like if I work really hard, like that can be me up there one day. Um, so it helps them like set their, their goals and their sights really high as well. And it's not just division one, it's division two and three and yep. Juco. Right. Yep. All of them. Yeah. Yep. We, we celebrate everyone that gets to go on. Right. Cause that's a continuation of a dream, no matter yes. what level it is. So absolutely. You're going to play at the next level and get your education at the same time. And I, who can ask for anything better? Uh, one last question before I'll let you tell people where they can contact you. Your first uh, contact or experience with your head equipment manager at the University of Minnesota, how did that go? <laughs> oh, JB. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I remember coming in. I think it was my unofficial visit. It was both of the visits. I'm pretty sure you had everything laid out just so nice. And I was like, we get all this stuff. I think I like made a comment like that um, when I came in, but you did an awesome job. Um, I'll never forget when we actually, I think we were in trouble and we had to help you wash the <laughs> wrestling team laundry one yeah. year. That was quite possibly the worst experience of my life. <laughs> I, I don't think I appreciate doing laundry anymore <laughs> because of that experience, but any time spent with you is well spent. Um, I know you and I spent a little bit more time um, in the dugouts because yes. I like to kind of be way away from everybody on the far <laughs> end because I was always trying to stay focused. But you were always down there, and we, we didn't say much to each other, but we always stood right next to each other. And it was just we didn't have to say anything because I feel like we were always on the same page with things. But we, you were very, very appreciated, and you were a huge part of my college experience as well. Well, people always were afraid to talk to the pitcher. And I was, I'm never afraid to talk to the pitcher, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, eh. You made it less lonely in the dugout, right. for sure. <laughs> you know, you look at poor pitchers standing there and nobody's talking to them and it's that and the other. And especially if you got a no-hitter going or, you you know, you got a shutout going. It's like, oh, don't talk to Sarah. Don't, don't. <laughs> don't like, bring anything up. <laughs> the softball gods are listening. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh. Strike Zone Sports, why the name and where can they get hold of you? Yeah, so Strike Zone Sports, we're located in Egan, Minnesota. Um, we have all of our contact information and what we offer on our website, which is www.strikezonesports.net. So that will be the first place of reference for everybody to go to. Okay, any uh, social media stuff? 
Yep, we are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, just look up Strike Zone Sports, and you should find us on yeah. all of those platforms. We even dabbled in TikTok for a little bit. So, if any listeners have a TikTok account, you want to see some tips and tricks and Sam's bloopers? They're all in there. <laughs> and you have the nice so logo of the SZS. So, yes. yep. Uh, and you yeah. were selling apparel at one time. Have you given that up? Um, nope. Our apparel store is open 24 seven, 365 days a year. Um, yeah, check it out. That can also be found on the website and contact information. One more time is www.strikezonesports.net. And then if you want to shoot us an email, um, it's info at strikezonesports.net. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I told you, one of the best to ever do it uh, in the circle especially at the University of Minnesota. And um, she went on to have a pro career. My friend, my little hang buddy in the dugout, as you just learned, <laughs> <laughs> Sir Moulton. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. In Pennsylvania, a teenage girl that was about to turn 18 was driving her brand new car home when she looked down to check a text message and struck a tree, killing herself and injuring a friend in the car. The average message takes 4.6 seconds to create. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. Please don't drive while intoxicated or allow your friends and family to do so. No text message or phone call is worth dying for. Find Mike Bryant at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Mike Bryant, seeking justice for the injured. Kick a little stuff for them cars that be bumping. Yeah, but we need a beat that they can front to. Oh, that'll work. Be funky. You know what I'm saying? Cross ride drop with the Pumas Simmons. Cross ride drop. Cross ride drop with the Pumas Simmons. Cross ride drop. All the cars out there and all the brothers. Cross ride drop. I like the front they ride. Cross ride drop. You know it's funky, 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 cause you heard it from hearsay. A jam that you love that don't be getting no airplay. Strictly for fronting when you're riding around. 12 o'clock at night with your windows down. Headlights blinking cause your battery's drained. Armor roll on your tires and a big gold chain. Parking outside all the hip-hop spots. Push the EQ and play connect the dots. Leaning to the side, people everywhere. The trunk full of amps, ain't no room for a spare. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. It was a good time catching up with Miss Sarah Moulton. She is one of the best on and off the field, one of the best that I was around during my time in athletics. Again, remember Strike Zone Sports is her location and her business, and she runs it with a few other ex- with a partner of Sam Mackin, a former gopher, and there's also some other former gopher and other ladies who played college ball there that it, that is helping build the next generation of great softball players. Before I end this week's uh, podcast, I thought I'd start doing a little segment called In the Mind of JB, which was something that was on the Bob Sansevier podcast. Now I'm bringing it here because I'm JB. And for this first time, In the Mind of JB will be to let uh, remind people of there's a new podcast out called the Tom Bernard Morning Show. Yes, same old guy, but he seems to be a lot happier and he's got uh, Brittany with him, and a guy named Rudy Pavich is his producer. 
And I was in there last Wednesday, so maybe you want to check out last Wednesday's episode. But uh, listen to Tom and Brittany and Rudy every week. And um, as Tom says, it's reminded him of the, the KQRS Morning Show 10 years ago. That same amount of fun we used to have and openness and all those things and and him him himself being happy. Well, this is the first podcast in a while, and I again like to thank Sarah for coming and being a part of the podcast and helping me out. We'll be, there'll be more podcasts in the near, very near future, and continue to, um, if you in need for a glove repair, to reach out to JB's Glove Repair, but also if you need legal help or legal advice, uh, Bradshaw and Bryant for your legal advice. And this show can be heard on, you know, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, uh, Outcasts, and other podcast locations. Until next time, thank you for listening to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African American, black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.